Welcome back to In the Queue, film conversations with Andrew and Phil. I'm your co-host, Andrew. And upon realizing the middle name of our hero in this film, I suddenly realized that I had completely forgotten the second half of this movie. <laughs> I was like, Eroica? Uh, oh. Oh, then it all came together. Oh. I, oh, I remember what happens in this film. I had completely forgotten. I absolutely love that you unabashedly referred to him as hero. Uh, where, which is a term that Ooh. perhaps could be flipped on its end, given the nature of this character. Hero in the Greek sense? Hero is in our protagonist, perhaps? Sure, sure. Some might just say anti-hero. I'm just saying. Uh, no, I, I hear you. We'll get into that. Um, this is Phil, your other co-host. And this movie manages to be a slice of life of both working class folks and privileged intellectuals. Jack Nicholson's ability to float through both worlds is only one reason why I love today's movie oh well that's really nice yeah today's movie was uh recommended to us it's a listener request that movie is five easy pieces directed by bob raffleson and starring jack nicholson as we mentioned uh andrew is the one who recommended it andrew from greensboro north carolina say hi to everybody andrew hello everyone i'm waving at you right now but you cannot see it (laughs) oh true so true uh, that's two. This this is this the first time we've ever had two Andrews on the podcast. I think, I think it is. I think it is. I think it's also going to be the last time too. Dangerous. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There can be only one. <laughs> Before we get into talking about the movie itself, though, I want to tell you how to find us on the web. You can find us on our website, uh, our blog, which is at in the q. That's the letter q dot com. You can slap a www in front of that if you want to, or not. Either way, it'll take you to our page. There you'll find all of the episodes posted as well as a comment section where you can leave any suggestions that you have. Much like Andrew, our guest today, you can come on the show and talk about your suggestion with us. Mm. We actually – we really enjoy having our conversations with our listeners Mm -hmm. and uh, and we encourage you to do that. Another way that you can do that is to go to our – uh, Facebook page, which is if you go onto Facebook, you can search for In the Queue, Q U E U E, Film Conversations with Andrew and Phil. And if you like our page, it will fill your feed with uh, all of our uh, episodes mm-hmm. and, in addition, all of our supplemental materials that we post, which are uh, usually informative or humorous or any number of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but all of it will show up. And you can leave a comment on our page with any suggestions that you have or any comments that you have about the podcast itself. We'd love to hear back from you. Indeed. Additionally, you can engage us in conversation on Facebook or on Twitter at our Twitter handle, which is at ITQ podcast. And there you can uh, see all of the tweets that we send out and, uh, and talk to us about what you think about our episodes and uh, what you think about the movies that we are talking about. Yeah. And finally, you can find us on iTunes, subscribe to us there, and every single episode will come straight to you. It's in the queue, Q-U-E-U-E, Film Conversations with Andrew and Phil. And there you go. Basically, you can't avoid us. That's what I just gathered from all that. Yeah, yeah. It's we are ubiquitous. We are anonymous. (laughs) (laughs) No, we're not. No, we're not. No, no. Uh, so as I said, the, the film today is a classic film from the 1970s, from 1970 itself, in fact, uh, called Five Easy Pieces, one of the iconic performances and star-making turns for Jack Nicholson. Mm-hmm. 
uh, and uh, it really set him on his career path. And um, before I tell you sort of what the movie's about, Andrew, why don't you give us a sense of why it is you recommended this and uh, why you wanted to talk about it with us? Okay. Uh, I <clears throat> Okay, so I first saw this film about a year ago, almost a year ago today, I guess, looking wow. back at my notes. and um, Very recently, very recently. Yeah, I, recently, I guess. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I don't know. I was... Um, I, I was interested in it in a way that I didn't quite understand when I first saw it because uh, the, the silence of the movie was very compelling, but I also found it to be like of a sort with other movies that I had seen from around this period, and mm-hmm. I hadn't yet, you know, like tried to unpack that at all. Um, mm-hmm. As I've been preparing for, you know, our conversation, I've started looking around into where some of that silence and quiet and um, stillness might uh, might have come from. Um, Mm-hmm. But that was that was I, I just enjoyed that as it distinguished itself from you know many of the other films that I've been seeing around the same time. Cool, indeed. Cool. Uh, and your choice of the term "silence" really taps into the poetics of this movie too. Um, just indeed. something that I don't always think about. Mm-hmm. I, I will just interject and say I've seen this movie many times, um, but the the idea of you know, kind of quiet and and um, muted qualities definitely, I think, suit uh, and would merit a worthy discussion surrounding the film. Indeed, and we will get into that discussion in a moment. For those of you who have not seen the film, uh, I'll give a, a brief summary of the film. It's um, It's a little hard to describe it in terms of a plot because it's kind of as Phil alluded to earlier, it's kind of a slice of life film. Uh, it's really just kind of uh, a character study, watching the characters exist and interact with one another. Um, but uh, for the most part, it's about our main character, whose name is Robert Eroica Dupee. And he uh, he's uh, uh, working the oil fields. He's working on like oil derricks. Uh, he's a, got a very blue-collar life. He's got very blue-collar friends. He's got a very blue-collar girlfriend. Uh, he's living, uh, a very sort of, I don't know if, I don't want to say hand to mouth existence, but he's living a, a lower class existence Mm -hmm. and, uh, circumstances dictate that he has to go visit his family because his father has become very ill. And, uh, what we discover through the course of the film is that he comes from very upper class stock. Mm-hmm. His family is very much an upper class family full of talented musicians, perhaps not born talented, but uh, certainly raised to be uh, accomplished. And um, and what we watch throughout the film is his interactions with his family and how his family and the life that they lead kind of intersects with the life that he has chosen for himself, which is a very different life, mm-hmm. a very different lifestyle. Um, and that's that's the film. That's pretty much it, wouldn't you say? Is there anything you think we should add to that? Mm, I'm sure it'll come out in the discussion, but that's the basic premise. Certainly. I mean, uh, it's all about John Nicholson's character uh, for the most part. It is. With, with some important supporting roles, without a doubt. <laughs> but it really is kind of an examination of uh, some guy who came from 
one place in life that was considered to have a lot of stature and he just mm-hmm. basically just turned his back on it and he's been turning his back on things ever since. Yeah, and continues to turn his back on things. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean the 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 tagline of this movie which I, I have a feeling it was it was added much later uh perhaps with the DVD release of this film mm-hmm. the the tagline it's there's a big great photo of Nicholson's like kind of pained expression looking over a desolate barren landscape and then it says underneath his face he rode the fast lane on the road to nowhere <laughs> so that's that it's kind of a sensational sexy way to put it but it, that's kind of, I th- I it's kind it's... of true I think it, well, yeah, to an extent, but I think it's a little overly sensational. And I think that it, it, I mean, this movie is not like a, a fast lane type movie. I mean, him riding in the fast lane consists of him sort of having relationships outside of his relationship. Cheating on his girlfriend. (laughs) Cheating on his girlfriend. And that's about the extent of it, really. That's like his, his bad behavior, other than the fact that he's kind of a, scummy person i mean he's kind of a terrible human being the, the movie is not a thrill ride like not even a, on the same par that like easy rider was the previous year i mean those right, guys right. you could say are riding the fast lane but it's true bobby dp's character is he's a thinker and a brooder um and one of the most like liberated moments he has in the whole film is when he steps out of his car during a crowded traffic jam and hops onto a moving truck and starts playing the piano and then yeah. the, the truck carries him off to some other town, and uh, he manages to find his way back home, which yeah. is such a beautiful it's, sequence. It is, and like the uh, the bookends of that, I guess like the character logical bookends of that are kind of interesting for me to consider. Like he's leaving behind his friend Elton, who uh-huh. later on he's just going to. Well, I I don't know quite how to talk about his you know his treatment <laughs> of Elton. You know, it's pretty conflicted, but. Like he, he's not with him in the traffic at the end of that scene, certainly. Mm-hmm. And like he's going to somebody else he's already, you know, cut loose in, in a certain way, right? Like when we think of him as riding the fast lane, um, it's, mm-hmm. it certainly seems like he isn't expecting to, <laughs> he isn't expecting to travel any place when he does in fact travel, if that makes any sense. Well, he, yeah. he's, he's yeah. going nowhere and it's like he doesn't matter where he goes because it's all equally meaningless to him. Yeah. He just he, he does need to have a place to live and stay and, and experience the basic elements of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. But beyond <laughs> safety and food, it's like he really could be with almost anybody, anywhere, doing anything. Yeah, cutting them in a and I guess a kind of carelessly deep way, uh, whoever he's with, right? Like because those two people, Elton and you know, the when he does finally get to town, um, his uh, girlfriend Rayette. Like, I can't imagine that either of them are necessarily okay with what he does in that scene, even though it's, like, pretty low-key. It's just like, oh, I'm going to vanish, and I don't really care about what that means for me showing up or me disappearing in this scene. Yeah, but but at the same time, I feel like he's – everyone around him treats him with the expectation that that's exactly what he's going to do. I mean, yeah. this is a n- new behavior to them, you know? It's uh, not it's not like he's suddenly freed and, and has discovered – something about himself. Right. This is just what he does. Right. You know? Yeah, and it seems like um, his girlfriend in particular keeps putting up with it. And um, she's... She's just resigned to yeah, it. Yeah, she's kind of hot and cold. Occasionally she's, you know, pouty or hurt. But she seems to sort of get over it rather quickly for the most part. 
Um, yeah, well, there's that uh, there's that uh, scene when they're driving the car and she's in the front seat and she turns to him and says, "You're never going to find anybody who treats you as well as I do as I do and and puts up with you as much as I do." Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. it's and that's a, that's think, a really crucial moment that comes right before the, uh, the the climax of the film. Oh, is that yeah. is that right before yeah. the end? The part that you're thinking of? Yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah, 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 okay. Because there's actually, a real difference between like those conversations solo in the car, right? Before yeah, they, yeah. Before and after they visit the family. Yeah, that's true because she doesn't usually. That's the first time that we see her give him that kind of ultimatum in the film. Yeah. Where she's really yeah. she's really valuing herself and being like, you know, you've got, you've got something really good with me. You're never going to get anything better than this. You should. You need to appreciate me, and that uh, inspires him to. To the ultimate turning away <laughs> and abandon her completely. It terrifies him, is what it does. Like he's. Uh, do you think? Do you think that his? Uh, do you think that this film presents his behavior as justifiable, based off of his upbringing? I, I can't help but look oh. at this film and feel like it's. Um, you know, it's a movie of the '60s and the '70s. It feels like it's sort of a uh, intentionally kind of a counterculture movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a way, um, maybe not quite as much as, say, Easy Rider, but it feels of that kind. So, do you feel like, uh, do you feel like this is more driven by character saying that he he was made to be this way because of his upbringing, or do you think that it has more to do with uh, the juxtaposition of of uh, the 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 idea of how that generation's parents had brought them up and the expectations that they placed upon them and all that kind of stuff. Andrew. Oh man, can, can I take this one? Yeah, go. Yeah, go for because, it. Cause like this was one of the big questions for me between when I watched the movie the first time and watched it, you know, just a week ago or so the second time, um, I couldn't tell like whether I was in the presence of, uh, a movie that was appealing to me through its classic status or because, you know, it had given me some sort of like really interesting, uh, character who is complex, but wasn't a message. Right. Um, or, or, you know, like a character who was in fact packed with a message. I think that ultimately I come down to, uh, being compelled by this character in a situation, um, because he's, making a lot of choices that add up to not choosing. And uh, I don't really feel like that's being uh, like packed with um, significance, like uh, he's not being praised for it. And I don't feel like he's being explained by the film either um, in, in my viewing of it. I feel like it's more like if I take it as a, uh, as a character study in the most extreme sense, then this is a study of somebody who has a certain behavioral uh, tempo or rather a uh, habit and, you know, this is like age 35 or whatever, you know, seeing the results of that. Yeah. I think I've always sympathized with Bobby Dupee. I've always liked him every time I see this movie and I read about people who think that he is an unlikable character or, mm. or he is just basically their, their experience of the film is much different from mine because they just can't really get behind his story. They just think, He's not worth watching. Now, there's a difference between being worth watching and being likable. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's highly right. worth watching, and I don't think that he's a a good person by any means. But um, I feel that he is a, is a compelling figure, extremely well acted with extreme uh, wit 
by Jack Nicholson. Mm-hmm. And I feel yeah. like the the climate for movies like this is still very fertile with characters that we see in modern day TV shows like Don Draper from Mad Men, mm-hmm. where we watch somebody who's a cad and and cheats on their spouses and is self-centered, but they have a certain cunning or intelligence about them or charisma that makes them <laughs> worth watching. Mm. Um, I right. I don't know if Bobby Dupee is the product of a bad childhood. Uh, I tend not to think that, just to get back to your question, Andrew. Yeah, but yeah. I think that he may suffer from a chemical imbalance of some kind mm. that, that just kind of has created a persona that uh, is basically a rolling stone no matter where he goes. I mean, there's that scene that a lot of film historians and critics point to where he uh, basically walks out on Rayette and and tells her he's going to go visit his dying father. And then he gets in the car and has like a meltdown, um, which might be his heart trying to (laughs) come through and influence (laughs) his decision making. And he's like, God, 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 God. And then he gets up and then asks her to come with him as if like he's begrudging, he's grudgingly doing the right thing. Uh, but but that combined with other episodes of his behavior, such as abandoning Elton in the traffic jam, uh, some people have written that he his character um, perhaps is worth a little bit more understanding because he just can't help himself. Oh, interesting! Very interesting. So so neither of you were reading it as kind of a, a countercultural statement of any kind. Oh man. Like I think that maybe the history is like, if I were to look at like where the writers came from when they made this character, I would say, yeah, I could see that in the background of it. Certainly, especially given, you know, it's already been mentioned easy writer in the previous year. Uh, I right, could see right. that intention there, but like, I'm not reading it like that. Um, well, Andrew, yeah. Andrew, why do you think that it's, or do you think that it's a countercultural statement? I do. I do. And I don't know whether I'm reading it that way because I do feel a certain distance from Bobby Dupee. Like, as you say, like, I do think he's kind of a, an awful character to watch. Like, he's just very cruel to everybody and very opportunistic and very selfish. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not to say that that's, it's not worth watching a character who is all of those things. But, uh, but I found myself sort of uninterested in his life. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and so it, it and, and this, this happened the first time that I watched it. This might account for why I sort of forgot what happened in this film. Uh, it's been gosh, 15 years since I watched it. And, uh, and I think, I think that that, that let my brain kind of drift into more sort of, I don't know, socially analytical territory uh-huh. <laughs> because I, I did feel, in fact, I felt more this time than I did the last time that I saw it, that this was uh, seemingly sort of a product of its time and a film really about uh, sort of the order versus chaos of the sixties, the kind of buttoned up, uh, you know, uh, parental figures that were kind of in charge of, everything and telling the kids what to do and the kids wanting to just, you know, drop all of those wishes and hopes and dreams that their parents had for them and, uh, and, you know, be their own person in the Mm -hmm. world. So I felt like there was a lot of that in there, but I don't think that it's 
overt. I don't think that it sort of beats you over the head in the same way that something like an Easy Rider does. Right, because mm. in five easy pieces, you're not seeing somebody like tune in, turn on, and drop out in every sense. You're just sort of seeing somebody drop yeah. out of, uh, you know, of their every relationship. Yeah, like drop out of their upbringing, drop out of you know their expectations. Um, but I feel I feel like this is a character statement in the same way that any number of character statements like you know like naked Mike Lee's naked another drift another yeah, drifter yeah. movie that I really like about a terrible terrible human yeah being. and I guess you could say that naked you know could be a larger statement about society and class in London maybe you could say that but I think f- primarily naked like five easy pieces is just a study of a personality and a, a person with a severe personality disorder yeah, yeah. I, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. No, no, no. Uh, I think that the thing that really breaks it out of, like, a period comment, although I can see that, you know, pretty deeply, like, there are some things in the movie that only make sense to me, really, if I if I take it as a comment on the period. But the thing that breaks it out of that reading for me is um, what uh, Susan Ansbach's character says at the end of the movie to him. You remember that, like, kind of, you know, almost, like, set piece of breakup that they have at the end? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't remember her wording, but you know, it's something like, uh, you know, a man who has no love for himself, for his family, for his work. Right? How can he ask for it uh, mm-hmm. in return? How can he deserve it? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Like that, you know, really seemed to me to be the part where the movie was still holding it together somewhat as a piece about this character, rather than about this character plus the '70s or this character plus you know the time period or, or family situation. Yeah, and and I also um, one of the things that sort of brought me back down to earth. Uh, he has a scene with his father. Mm. That's like a very probably the most moving scene in the the film, or pretty close to it, um, where he sort of has trouble finding the words for how he kind of wants to. Like he he's had a bad relationship with his father, basically, um, and now that his father is sort of drifted away from them mm-hmm. uh, and is, you know, can't communicate. He's, he's had two strokes. I think they yeah. said, mm. um, then it, it's, it's time for, you know, him to have this kind of, uh, the moment that he could never have if his father was Cause I think he says, if, if we were having this conversation any other time, you would just talk over me and it wouldn't be a conversation anymore, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I felt I felt like that was very uh, revelatory about his character, and it was very uh, moving. But then uh, <laughs> it didn't change anything. It didn't change the way he behaved. I mean, the, the sort of ultimate act that he has at the beginning of the film, really running away, mm-hmm. is is it just sort of shows that he's going to continue in this kind of self-destructive cycle. I feel like, or is he going to start a new beginning? What do you think? That's a good question, right? Oh, well, we I, can <laughs> we can really speculate on that one. I'm I'm going to place all of my life savings on him and Palmapodica starting an excellent commune in Alaska. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think uh, that uh, you know, some really good movies are about people who have terrible habits and they don't change. They don't grow. Yeah. I mean, that the classic archetypal hero, even dating back to Greek times which you invoked at the beginning of the show Andrew is that mm-hmm. you know that the hero is changed by their journey and people change and that's the the tenant of fiction 
people you know, there has to be a purpose it has to be worth something people need to to not just end up being the same i love watching movies about people who don't change and i am fully prepared that bobby dupee won't change he's just gonna keep going from place to place um yeah i can't imagine i mean him him jumping into that logging truck and going somewhere cold as hell whether that's alaska or 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 some other unnamed place it's like it's like suicide to me i mean i just see him just really getting deeper and deeper into his own ass and and (laughs) self-destructing i don't see him having a moment of clarity at all and um it's interesting that he actually is not sort of a victim for other sorts of you know addictions like alcohol um right but he right. just he just really is has no self-worth as is how it seems and i saw this movie at a time when i was particularly low in the self-worth department not as low as this of course and i still cared about my family and my friends but um when i first saw this movie it was a movie about somebody who just kind of threw himself away and it was really compelling and, and and it was compelling i think in large measure because of the great performance at, the, at its center yeah and i don't think there's any question that that jack nicholson's performance in this is incredible i mean one of the oft cited sequences uh is one where he's ordering food at a diner in the the waitress won't give him toast because it's not on the menu. Yeah. And he figures out a roundabout way to get the toast and um, sort of, it's a very funny, very kind of honest scene that I think is very relatable to a lot of people, but he plays it so well. I mean, it's such a nuanced performance. Uh, I mean, Jack Nicholson is just, I mean, he's amazing. I think, yeah. <laughs> I think the only reason why this movie isn't, sort of more acknowledged as a, a classic on the level of like one floor of the cuckoo's nest is because he's not a hero. He's a, he's an anti-hero. I mean, he's not somebody that you like, like everybody loves RP McMurphy and that we want to see him succeed. He's, he's, yeah. he's the guy we all want to get behind. Uh, his performance in five easy pieces is just as good as, as in cuckoo's nest. It just so happens that the, the character is, it's burning itself up, you know, he's just, yeah. you know, like you get to watch him endlessly reenter the atmosphere and never quite hit bottom. Right. Like, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, like the thing that I really liked about his performance, I guess, um, where the, maybe this is me being attracted to the quieter things in the movie. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it was things like the, the conversation with his father or, you know, like even, mm-hmm. I don't know. Even those scenes, um, not quite scenes, but the parts of the movie where, you know, it's just a camera tracking him, like as he's driving in the car or as he is walking places, as he is negotiating the world alone Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. without having reacted to people um, or uh, while he's not consciously necessarily escaping them. Uh, He doesn't even seem quite at ease in those moments, but he's projecting the sense of it, like the sense that he is, you know, okay where he is in life generally. Uh, Like you could pick it up from just his body language, I felt, in those moments. Um, It was just a really nice part of it. 
Yeah, and and uh, a great scene I thought uh, that he has in the film, which isn't even like it's it's a it's a terrible scene from a character standpoint. I mean, he's a he's a total jerk in this scene. But when they're at the bowling alley and he's left behind, and these two women and then Lane next to him come over to him and they think they've confused him for somebody on <laughs> television, or or they're just using that as like a flirtation tactic. Mm-hmm. It's a little hard to tell, but. Uh, but his kind of waffling, like the kind of um, you, you sense that he ha- has the sense that this is wrong, but he still wants to engage. It's an opportunity, and like... it, it's an opportunity, and 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 I love the fact that uh, that Raffleson cuts before we see what the resolution of that scene is, and we don't even find out until later that he got their number and that he is. Planning on spending time with them. He's planning to nail Sally Struthers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and after he does it, he he, we see that his the T-shirt he's wearing says "Triumph" on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, such subtlety. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, uh, this this movie, I think, uh, it it probably did connect with audiences' desire to see more like negative uh, portrayals of people in movies, you know, like I think maybe in, in a sense it, it does kind of go with the countercultural uh, vibe of the time, whereas people were getting kind of disillusioned with the American dream. Um, and yeah. so, yeah. you know, this guy Nicholson is somebody who made a big splash in easy rider as somebody who was also disillusioned with the American dream. And now he's got his own movie. Um, but I don't, it was, it was, critically acclaimed i don't know how much of a box office hit it was at the time um but i i absolutely adore yeah. 70s era american films because they often are bleak and kind of gritty and uh, but still artfully done uh the photography in this movie is is a really nice kind of slice of life of um kind of blue collar americana um, and and surprisingly rich. Uh, I, I watched this in HD, mm-hmm. and uh, was actually kind of shocked. At, I remembered it being very muddy and very drab when I watched it before, and it did not. It seemed much more vibrant this time I've around. I got the Blu-ray, and uh, it looks yeah. great. Laszlo Kovacs, who is a Hungarian yeah. cinematographer who, who emigrated to the states and made a lot of um, kind of smaller films before graduating onto bigger projects. I think he did Ghostbusters actually oh. in 1984. Mm. Um, not the upcoming remake, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, which, which incidentally the original Ghostbusters is, is a lavishly, gorgeously photographed yeah. film. It's more, I mean, it's, it's amazing how rich that movie is. Some people think that, you know, Europeans and, and other foreign uh, cinematographers see America differently and therefore they're they're sought after like um, yeah, Robbie yeah. Mueller who is a Dutch DP who made a lot of American films like Repo Man uh, and yeah. he, did, uh, he made Paris Texas with Vin Benders yep. Um, yep, he, yep. that movie is like Paris Texas is just kind of like a symphony of neon and street and lights the, the, and the oranges of the desert yeah. and I hear that was the blue of the sky I hear that was one of the appeals for uh, Roman Polanski doing Chinatown. Um, yeah, you know, yeah. But uh, it's of a similar era as well, right? I can't remember when that film was in yeah, 75. It, 
it would just be four years later after five oh, years later. Yeah. 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 Um, well, I think that wraps up our episode on five easy pieces. Uh, it is a fascinating film. Uh, it's, it's a, a difficult care character to watch <laughs> as far as I see it, but, uh, but still a, a very interesting film and very much of that time. Uh, I, I, you don't see films quite like this anymore. I feel yeah. like, uh, I feel like they just don't, it was, it was a very short, maybe 10 year period where they made movies that felt like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I found myself uh, asking like, wait a second, this is an American movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It has, it has a different pace. It has a different look. It has a different feel to it than, uh, than a lot of stuff that we see nowadays. And, and as you say, Phil, this did get a fair amount of critical acclaim and got four Academy Award nominations, including Best Picture in that mm-hmm. year. Um, it didn't win any of them, but Best Picture and, and uh, the two main actors were both nominated for Academy Awards as well. Yeah. Um, so clearly something that, that was highly regarded at the time. And uh, I think it's definitely worth watching, uh, especially if you want to get your jack nicholson history on oh yeah <laughs> it's it's really his that this and easy rider were his breakouts that really made him into a star um so it's 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 uh it's a solid watch i'd say uh, i would agree yeah yeah uh andrew thank you for recommending it um i don't know how long it would have been before i watched it again because <laughs> <laughs> because i it was one of those ones that had kind of faded in my memory uh, a fair amount other than a few sort of key scenes. Um, so I was glad to, to get my eyes on it again. And I thank you very much for, for recommending it to us. Well, thank you for having me on. Um, it's been fun to talk about it with y'all. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I hope that you'll uh, give us some more suggestions. We're always uh, looking to have people back on the show to talk about uh, other movies that they really enjoy. I will do my best. So. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. Uh, Please join us for our next episode when we'll be talking about the new David O. Russell film, Joy, with the oft collaborator, oftentimes collaborators, off. Anyway, the people he's collaborated with a couple times now uh, Jennifer Lawrence and Bradley Cooper, both in this. And also uh, Robert De Niro. And Robert De Niro, yeah, that's true. That's uh, three films in a row that they've all been in. Which is pretty impressive. He's, uh, you know, I always enjoy watching directors who have who have sort of put together a stable of actors. Paul Thomas Anderson's another one who does mm-hmm. that. Um, the Coen Brothers, of course. Uh, it's always it's always rewarding to see them uh, work together and and do different things. So, uh, thank you so much for listening, everyone, and we will catch you next time. <laughs>